We made it all the way to the end of Genesis. This is the last message, lesson, lesson number 19 uh, of the series through the life of Joseph. And uh, I, I'm so thankful, church. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. It's my first time to ever be able to preach on a regular basis through a book or through a, a series, rather. And so I'm thankful for the opportunity. I don't take it lightly. Uh, and I think I'm thankful for those who have been here almost every single week. I feel like I've seen uh, most of you throughout the course of this series, and you've helped me a lot and helped me develop as a preacher, and I do appreciate that. Uh, but nonetheless, this is the last lesson. We'll be done after this week. Next week uh, will be the start of our missions conference, and you know about that. But then the week after, Brother Chip's going to be preaching on Wednesday nights, and we're excited about that. Haven't heard from him on a regular basis in a while, so he'll be preaching on Wednesday nights, and so we're thankful for that. Uh, Genesis chapter number 50. In verse number 15, we'll begin our reading in verse number 15. We'll read down through the end of the uh, text. Uh, and before that, all that happens in between now, uh, or excuse me, verse number 15 in the beginning of the chapter is just some uh, addresses and different things that they're going to be talking about the death of Jacob. Remember, we talked about that last week. And so, nonetheless, we'll pick up our reading in verse number 15. The Bible says, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us. And will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespasses of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, Forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept. When they spake unto him, and his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear not, Excuse me, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which, to, uh, which he sware to uh, Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, uh, took an oath of a chil the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being a hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. For just a few moments tonight, in this closing message in our series through the life of Joseph, a story of God's sovereignty, I figured I wouldn't put it any better than Joseph put it. So we're just going to call it this, God meant it for good. God meant it for good. Let's say a quick word of prayer tonight and we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for that, your goodness to us. We're thankful for your grace that's, that's bestowed. And, and we can come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Joseph had many moments of great need, but Lord, he always had you in his corner. Lord, I pray that uh, as I preach tonight that you'd fill me with your power. I need it once again. I pray that you'd speak to me and speak through me. I yield myself the best that I know how. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to hearts tonight, Lord. And, and if we walk away uh, from tonight knowing anything, I pray that it would be this. We serve a God who's in control. Lord, no matter what the world may say, no matter what our circumstance may render, Lord, we serve a God who's in control. Lord, you know everything. You know the end from the beginning as we're gonna see tonight. Lord, nothing has ever occurred to you. Lord, what a God that we serve. I pray that we would rest in the sovereignty of God no matter what life brings our way. I pray that we would be found resting in your sovereignty, Lord, and yielded to your will. I pray that you'd be with us tonight. Thank you so much uh, for meeting with us in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you for reading with me. Once there was a woman who stopped at a coffee shop to see an old friend who she hadn't seen in many years. How are you, she asked as they sat down to catch up. I got married, the one woman said to the other. Oh, that's good. Not really, she said. Oh, why is that? Well, you see, my husband is very ugly. Oh, that's too bad. Well, he's very rich, though. Oh, she said, that's good. Not really, because my husband is very stingy. Oh, that's too bad, she said. But he did buy us a big mansion. Oh, that's good, she said. Not really, because it burned down last week. Oh, she said, that's too bad. Not really, she said. The other woman said in in a shocking reply, how so? And she said, well, you see, my husband was inside when it burned to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrible, I should have read. I should have used a different illustration to go into the message tonight. I share that to say that life is all about perception, isn't it? Life is all about perception. You can look at life a number of different ways, and as it is with the Christian life, would you agree that things are not always as they seem? Uh, and in the life of a Christian, a lot of the times, the things that might seem bad to the world are actually for our good. And the things that might seem good uh, are actually bad. Uh, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And, and only a Christian would understand uh, that sometimes in the lowest of valleys, you will see the good of, goodness of God betrayed upon your life because everything works for God's good and for His glory. And so uh, we understand that uh, uh, everything is not as it, as it seems in the Christian life. Sometimes things that are good are actually bad. And sometimes things that are bad are actually good for our good and for his glory. But one thing that we can rest assured of is this. Everything that God allows into our lives are meant for our good and for his glory. And as we've made our way through the life of Joseph, I don't think I'd get any argument tonight that, humanly speaking, it was a lot of negative. It was a lot of bad things that we've looked at, uh, a lot of things that were not so good. And the admonishment that I've given everybody, uh, even in night number one, was to do this. Remove all preconceived notions that you have about Joseph, because we kind of, we read the Bible and we kind of just skim through some of these stories because we know how it ends. But just capture the imagination and, and try to put yourself in the life of Joseph, really any Bible character, but namely Joseph, and try to look at it through the lens of if you were hearing the story of Joseph for the first time and, and you didn't know how it ended if, as, as if it was it, it was falling on your ears for the first time and that was the admonishment that I gave you put yourself in the position of Joseph let's get into Joseph's shoes so we were there when this 17 year old boy was betrayed by those who were supposed to love him and sold to the Midianites we were there when this Hebrew boy was uh, then sold to a man named Potiphar Uh, We were there when Potiphar's wife made these advances against Joseph. Uh, We were there when Potiphar's wife made these advances and Joseph refuted the advances of Potiphar's wife at the cost of his reputation. Do you remember that? We were there uh, when Joseph was thrown into the prison. We were there when Joseph interpreted the dreams for the butler and for the baker. We were there when Joseph was forgotten in prison, the Bible says, for two full years by that same butler. We were there when Joseph was called out of prison and he was, uh, 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 he was brought before Pharaoh to give the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. We were there when Joseph was promoted to second in command in the most powerful empire in all the world, the nation of Egypt. We've been there. We were there when Joseph saw the faces of the ones whom had betrayed him and really started this downward spiral in the life of Joseph. We were there when Joseph displayed grace and, 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 and put on the act. Remember that? He put on this act where he didn't reveal himself. But then we were there when Joseph finally did reveal himself. And he said, I am Joseph, the one whom uh, you sold, uh, uh, threw into a pit and sold into slavery. We were there when Joseph was reunited with Jacob. 
And then we were there last week when Joseph, having been robbed, really, for 25, 30 years of his life with his father, having just spent a couple of the latter years of Jacob's life uh, as Joseph, we were there, we were there as Joseph held his father's hand as, as, uh, as the patriarch Jacob passed into eternity. Through the highs and through the lows, we've been there to see everything that has taken place in the life of Joseph. We've been witnesses to the sovereign hand of God at work in the life of someone would we agree, has experienced more difficult trials and circumstances than most of us in this room. And in this closing chapter of this man Joseph's life, again, I don't think that we could sum it up any better than Joseph did in verse number 20 when he said, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. And, and, and I mentioned this in my prayer and even in, in the beginning stages, I, I appreciate the opportunity that this has been for me to study because what this has done, at least for me, uh, maybe the Lord hasn't spoken to you how he's spoken to me, but in the study that I've had and the opportunity I've had to preach, the Lord has been reassuring me of something. The Lord has been reassuring me of something, even something that transpires in my own life. And here it is. In the Christian life, there are no accidents, only divinely orchestrated circumstances by God for our good and for his glory. That's what the story of Joseph means, and that's what it's, the Lord has brought, at least in my life, and he's taught me through the study and through the preaching of, of uh, Genesis all the, way, all the way even until this week. The Lord has been just reassuring me that I don't have to know everything. I don't have to understand everything. All the difficulties that I'm going through in my life, though small they may be, I don't need to understand what's happening. All I need to do is trust in the sovereign and righteous God who's in control. I don't know who holds tomorrow. I just live from day to day, but you know who holds tomorrow? The Savior holds tomorrow. The Lord holds tomorrow. We serve a sovereign God. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse number 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east and a man that executed my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. We serve a sovereign God. We serve a righteous God who knows that verse says the end from the beginning. Even before anything transpires, the Lord knows it and he understands it. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, a lot of the times, we, we led with this in week number one, but we are afraid of God's sovereignty. We're at least afraid to talk about it. But did you know that to not talk about the sovereignty of God in its proper context is to take away from God's divinity? Because God is sovereign. It's part of his characteristic. It's part of uh, who he is. And simply put, we've just been reiterating this. God's sovereignty is his foreknowledge and his control of everything that happens in life. But at the same time, man still has a volition. We still have a free will. Joseph had a free will. He had to conscientiously make these decisions in his life to end up where he ended up in Genesis chapter number 50. God works all things according to the counsel of his own will. Psalms 135 and verse number 6. Whatsoever the Lord pleaseth, or excuse me, pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth and in the seas and all the deep places. What I'm simply saying, as these verses are saying, and as the life of Joseph teaches us is this. We serve an almighty and a righteous God who is sovereign and who is in complete control. And as we come to the end of Joseph's life, in this chapter, the story might be different, but the message remains the same. Joseph saw the sovereign hand of God at work through every situation. Joseph removed all secondary causes. And the question that I'd like to lead with tonight, just a couple of simple questions by way of introduction. Uh, very simply, uh, how many of you, let me, let me lay some groundwork, how many of you would agree that the Christian life is a life of uncertainty? 
Now, we are sure of one thing, and that is the hope of the gospel. We have a home in heaven. But other than that, there are very few things that we can be assured of. We live a life as a Christian, a life of uncertainty. Don't believe me? Ask Joseph. You think that Joseph was certain that any of these things would transpire? I believe that every single day he woke up fully expecting for the day to go one way, the day went completely differently. Our Christian life is a life of uncertainty. So here's my question. How do we as Christians live a life of uncertainty assuredly? Did you catch me? How do we live a life, as Christians, how do we live a life of uncertainty assuredly? When the swings keep coming from every direction, how can we rest in the fact that we serve an almighty and a righteous God who's in control? Let me just test it out. Let's say amen if you agree with this. God is sovereign. Amen. We say we agree, but how many of us live day to day fully convinced that God is sovereign and in control? How many of us do, I mean, go through trials and difficult circumstances and find it difficult not only to say but to apply that we know that God is in full control? A lot easier to say, more difficult to do. So let me ask it this way tonight. How do we live the Joseph life? How do we live the Joseph life? To live the Joseph life, I think there's a few things that we need to understand in this closing chapter of Joseph's life that Joseph had to come to grips with in order to be used of God in the capacity that Joseph was able to be used of God. The first is this, number one, he unleashed his past. He unleashed his past. If there was ever a man that had a past, it was Joseph. If there's ever a man that has a rap sheet, it is Joseph. If there's ever been a man, I don't need to convince anybody that's been here at least one uh, service of this series, Joseph's been through some valleys. Joseph been, he's been through some difficult circumstances and trials. Betrayal, Joseph's experienced it. False accusations, Joseph experienced it. Feeling underappreciated and forgotten, Joseph's experienced it. Taken advantage of, Joseph's experienced it. If we'd ever give a pass on somebody living in the past, it'd be Joseph. If we ever gave a pass on someone who would constantly dwell upon the wrongdoings, it'd be Joseph, because we'd all agree, I think, that Joseph has suffered uh, far more difficult trials and circumstances than anybody that we know personally. However, there's one thing that Joseph learned from the very beginning, from a young age, and it was this. He had to ask himself this question. Am I going to allow the circumstances of life to define me or am I going to allow the sovereign hand of God to direct me? We asked that question in week number two, and I wanted to bring that out again, because that's kind of the, 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 the overriding thought in Joseph's life. Every circumstance that he had to face, he had to look at it through the lens of, am I going to let this problem and this difficult trial and circumstance define who I am, or am I going to rest in the sovereign hand of God and allow him to direct me? Joseph understood this little thing called bitterness. Joseph understood that if he allowed it, bitterness would take hold captive Joseph for the rest of his life and he would never be able to rise to the heights that he knew at a young age that God wanted him to rise to if he held on to the offenses of those who did him wrong. Joseph understood that if he didn't unleash his past, his past would control him. A few things quickly that I'd like us to notice of this process. It's very easily said, but very difficult to apply. There are some things that Joseph had to do. Letter A, I want you to see. He forgave before he was asked to forgive. To unleash your past, you must forgive even when someone doesn't ask for forgiveness. Look at verse number 17. It says, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespasses of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of thy father. That's a bald-faced lie. 
Jacob never said that. They're telling Jacob, again, they're afraid, as the previous uh, verses said, they're afraid that Joseph is only treating them nicely because Jacob is still in the picture. But now that Jacob has passed from the scene, they formulate, the, they, they formulate this lie and they go and send a messenger. They don't even have the guts to show themselves before Joseph. Look what uh, Joseph does. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Wasn't filled with anger, wasn't filled with hate like they thought he would be. He wept. Why did he weep? Because he realized at that moment that the notion from his brothers were, I'm treating you this way dependent upon my father's, my father's uh, uh, presence. And now that my father's passed from the scene, you think that I'm going to administer your just desserts and I'm going to administer revenge and I'm going to show you this hate? You must not know me. And it brought Joseph to a point, this is like the third time we've seen Joseph weep over the sins of his brothers. And I'd have you believe that the reason that he was so moved and, and he, the, reason that he, the reason that he weeps is because he didn't realize that he did not articulate maybe properly the fact that they had already been forgiven even before they made their journey to Egypt. Joseph had already forgiven them. And what's interesting to know, and something that I really haven't highlighted in this series, is uh, they entered Egypt 17 years ago. They found out that Joseph is alive 17 years ago, and this is the first time that we see them apologizing for what took place in Genesis 37. This is the first time that it takes, this is the first time that they ask for forgiveness. Now, if Joseph would have waited to administer forgiveness for them to, uh, waited to administer forgiveness, uh, and it was based upon when they would ask for forgiveness, it would have been 17 years of living in bitterness. But we learned in uh, Genesis 41 and verse number 51, when he's naming his son Manasseh, he says this, For God, he said, said he has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. He forgave them long before they ever came to Egypt. He had administered forgiveness long before, long before they had ever asked for forgiveness. Joseph understood that if he was ever going to escape his past, forgiveness had to take place even if they didn't ask for forgiveness yet or at all. Can I tell you something? There's some people in this church tonight, even, even right now, you want to be used of God. If you want to be used of God, say amen. Some of you, I'm just being honest because I've been there too. Some of us are holding on to an offense that someone has done against us because simply they haven't asked for forgiveness yet. You're holding on to the offense of, of something that someone, someone has done you wrong in the past and you go, oh, Lamar, you gotta understand what they did. What they did was absolutely horrible and I'm not gonna forgive them until they ask me to forgive them. That's sinful. You're holding on to bitterness. Bitterness, you ever heard this before? Bitterness ever, never hurts anybody but you. If you don't allow God to help you get over your bitterness and anger towards those who have done you wrong, listen to this, it will control you. It will define you. Bitterness holds every prisoner and there is no escape other than this, forgiveness, complete forgiveness. And again, forgiveness is not a feeling. Do you realize that Joseph didn't just naturally feel like he ought to forgive them? Quite the opposite, our flesh is going to instigate a feeling of an eye for an eye, we're going to talk about that in just a moment, and, and it's going to instigate a feeling of I need to get even, I need to get revenge. It's not a natural feeling to forgive, it's a choice that he had to make. He had to make a choice that I am not going to let the offenses define who I am, but rather I'm going to rest in the, sovereignty of, uh, the sovereign hand of God to direct me. Joseph had to learn, if I'm going to be used of God, I have to unleash my past. One way he had to do that, I have to forgive. But they didn't ask, doesn't matter. I have to let go and I have to forgive. Let her be. He forfeited his right for revenge. He forfeited his right for revenge. Uh, Joseph forgave before he was asked to forgive, and then he forfeited his right for revenge. Humanly speaking, Joseph had every right to execute the principle of an eye for an eye. Humanly speaking. 
He had every opportunity. Matter of fact, we see in this position that Joseph is, he has the platform, he has the authority, uh, Joseph has the reason, and he has the resources. He's even got an audience there in the people of Egypt. Joseph could literally just say, hey, I'm gonna put them in the middle of a ring, and I'm going to give them the biggest serving of just desserts, and everybody in Egypt is gonna sit there and watch. He had everything. He had the higher ground. But in the moment when the noose was in his hands, he forfeits his rightful revenge. Why? Let her see. He found the real secret about revenge. Look at verse number 29 of our text. It says, And Joseph said unto them, Fear not. Then he says this, For am I in the place of God? For am I in the place of God? You can read that a number of different ways, and I'm going to be honest, this is the way that I used to read it. Am I in the place of God? Am I not right with God? Because in the previous uh, several chapters, you remember when Pharaoh looks at Joseph after he gives the interpretation of the dream, and even Pharaoh, someone who doesn't believe in God, has to admit, this is a guy who the Spirit of God indwells. This is a guy who follows after the things of God, capital G. So uh, Joseph obviously walked with the reputation of he was a man that was fellowshipping with God and was right with God, but I'd have you believe that that is not what this text is saying. That's, that's not the indication, that's not the context. Here's what it is. He's saying, am I not in the place of, excuse me, for am I not in the place of God? He's saying this, who would I be saying that I am if I didn't forgive? I kind of I complicated that, but basically what he's saying is this, I'm not God. In other words, revenge is not my right. Revenge doesn't belong to me. I'm not in the place of God. In other words, I'm not in the position where I could administer revenge because revenge doesn't belong to me. We find out later in the Old Testament, revenge, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Joseph understood the secret of revenge is simply this. You don't have a right to it. It doesn't belong to you. Yeah, but you've got to understand, Lamar, again, the offenses that they've, they've committed against me definitely require for me to at least get even. Number one, let's not lie to ourselves. We never desire to get even, but to get over even. <laughs> Maybe it's just me, but I can tell you, I never want to get even. I always want to get over even. That's my flesh. That's my sinful nature. But the secret to revenge that Joseph figured out is simply this. We don't have a right to revenge. Revenge doesn't belong to us. Revenge belongs to the Lord. And I'm learning this in the Christian life. In Matthew, I think it's chapter number five, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says this. Be sure, offenses will come. We talked about that in week number three. Offenses will come. Mark it down. There's no getting around it. As long as you follow after me, offenses will come. You're going to be offended. Welcome to Wooden Valley Baptist Church. I'm glad you came tonight. You're gonna be offended. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna be offended. There's gonna be offenses that are, are, are performed against you. People are gonna betray your trust. People are gonna do wrongly against you. Uh, something that you gotta figure out really quickly is offenses will come, but revenge doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Joseph understood the secret to revenge, and it was that God, look at this, God could take care of his offenders a lot better than Joseph could. God could take a, 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 he could take care of Joseph's offenders a lot better than Joseph could. Can I tell you something? We can, be, we can become so confined in trying to figure out how we're going to teach someone else a lesson, and a lot of the times we try to justify it, don't we? They need to learn. How many of you have ever been guilty of saying that? They need to learn. Yeah. All you parents. Now, this doesn't apply to you, but uh, hey, you have, uh, someone's ever done you wrong, and you feel like it's your now responsibility to teach them a lesson, but you'll justify it. They need to learn that that's not okay. Can I tell you something? God can take care of it a lot better than you can. All you're going to do in getting over even, all you're doing in administering that revenge is making the situation worse. When God's the one who can look at the situation and he can say, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. He can take care of the situation a lot better than we can. 
Joseph had to unleash his past. Joseph understood that if he was going to be used of God in any capacity, he had to let go of what happened yesterday and focus upon what God was trying to do in his life in the now. And he can't do that with the baggage. He had to unleash his past. Number two, I want you to write this down. He understood God's providence. He understood God's providence. Look at verse number 20. This is, this is where the rubber meets the road. The, the most famous verse in all of the life of Joseph, verse number 20, it says, but as for you, ye thought evil against me. Pause for a moment. Did you notice how Joseph did not gloss over the sin of his offenders? As for you, ye thought evil against me. He didn't just gloss over it. Uh, can I tell you something? In order for relationships to be mended, there needs to be an acknowledgement of sin. You must call it like Jesus calls it. You must call it like the Bible calls it. You can't just gloss over your sin and say, oh yeah, uh, my bad, uh, oh, it's all good. Joseph didn't look at his brothers and say, hey, yeah, don't worry about it. You know, that's not a big deal. I know that it was unfortunate and it's kind of in inconvenient. He said, no, you thought evil against me. This is an evil act that you performed against your own flesh and blood. You thought evil against me, but aren't you thankful? He says, but God meant it for good. You thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. What did Joseph learn? Joseph learned to see God's providential hand in every situation. Joseph learned to see the sovereign hand of God at work even in the most difficult of circumstances. I did a little bit of reading and a lot of people call this verse the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. Romans 8.28, we all know it, read it with me. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And we know that some things work together for good. No. Oh, come on, Lamar, this is not a Sunday school class. We know what the verse says. How come we don't live like it? We know that all things work together for good. You know what all includes? All things. You know what all includes? All includes the sweet things. All includes the sweet thing. Can I get an amen? I'm thankful for the sweet things. I'm thankful for, uh, I was thinking just this week, some, something that would be so simple that God used would be the crying of a baby in the life of Moses. He's, he's heading down the Nile River and, and, and again the, the daughter is there and she's seeking and she's, she's bathing or whatever and the baby cries. Something as simple as that. God brought a lot of glory out of that. All things work together. The sweet things. The sorrowful things. Loss of a loved one. God can get glory out of that. Here's another one. The satanic things. Okay, hold on Lamar. The satanic things. 2 Corinthians in chapter number 12 and verse number 7. This is Paul speaking and Paul says this. And lest I should be exalted above measure, though the abundance of the revelation, excuse me, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Hold on a second, Lamar. You're, you're saying that God will allow Satan to have his way in certain aspects of our life for him to get glory, honor, and praise? Ask Job. Ask Job. We all know the story of Job, don't we? Uh, Satan targets Job, and he says, obviously I can't get to Job because you have this hedge of protection built around him. God lowers the wall, and Satan uh, touches uh, Job's health, his wealth, his family, and all his treasure and everything that Job has. God got great glory out of that. God can even take something like the works of Satan working out in the lives of us on the day-to-day -day basis and bring forth his glory and his honor and his praise. The sinful things. Sweet things, yes, the sorrowful things, satanic things, the sinful things. In other words, when we biff it and mess up. I've heard it said this way, only God can take a mess and create a message. And how many of you can testify to that? You've, you've gone against the grain and God has called you to a direction and you've gone the opposite direction and you know what you've done? Created a big mess. But somehow an almighty and a righteous and a sovereign God can take the big mess that you've created and bring forth his honor and his glory and his praise. Remember Judah? Judah? 
Man, I can't get over that. I've referenced it almost every single week since then, but Judah, I mean, look at what happened in the life of Judah. Talk about a mess. Talk about not following after the things of God. Judah makes a complete mess in Genesis 38, but God takes that and brings forth the ultimate glory, his son, Jesus Christ, through the line of Judah. How was Joseph able to be used by God in such a great capacity? He unleashed his past. He had to learn to forgive, even if people didn't ask for forgiveness. He understood God's providence. Lastly tonight, he was unshaken in God's promise. He was unshaken in God's promise. Verse number 22. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore, excuse me, swear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Look at this. In the closing verse of this man Joseph, closing verses of this man Joseph, he was still holding to the promises of God that was established even before his beginning. He's still holding to the promises of God that was bestowed upon Abraham in Genesis chapter number 12 in the, in the, in the line of uh, the Abrahamic covenant that God makes with Abraham. And here he is at the end of his life still holding to the promise of God. God's gonna call you out of this people and he's gonna, bestow, he's gonna bring you into a land, a land that flows with milk and honey, a land that he's promised to you. He's still holding to the promises of God. At the age of 110, having been through some of the most difficult things that any man has gone through, Joseph is found unshaken in the promise that God had given to them even at the very beginning. But something that I want to just I'll highlight for just a moment is that Joseph's dependence and his faithfulness to the promises of God even exceeded his own death. Look at verse number 25 of our text. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph makes this final request, and he says, hey, bros, I know that I look more Egyptian than Hebrew at this point, but when I die, I want you to take my bones, and I want you to put them in a coffin, but don't bury me here in Egypt. When God, God hasn't done this yet, but when God brings you out of this land, he brings you out of captivity, and he establishes you in the promised land, the land of Canaan, I want you to take my bones with me, and I want you to bury me next to my father in the land of Canaan in Shechem. Joshua chapter number 24 and verse number 32. Those of us who were in our Sunday school class, we uh, went over this. Joshua 24 and verse number 32. All that transpires. Who'd have thunk that God did exactly what he said he was going to do in the life of the nation of Israel? And the bones of Joseph, verse 32, and the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem, in a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of uh, Hamer, the father of uh, Shechem, uh, for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. Even in death, God was still working in the life of Joseph because of his, un, uh, excuse me, his willingness to unleash his past, understanding that God was providentially working in every situation and he held to the promises of God unshaken because he knew that God was sovereign and in complete control and had a desire to do great things in the life of Joseph if Joseph would let him. Joseph is a story of God's sovereignty. And in closing tonight, in this closing message, I, I'd simply like to reiterate those questions, just make a few highlights and we'll be done. How can we live a life of uncertainty assuredly? How can we live the Christian life, a life that is 
full of ups and downs, full of difficult trials and circumstances, how can we live a life of uncertainty assuredly? How can we live the Joseph life? Unleash your past. Unleash your past. You must let go of the offenses of yesterday in order for God to have his way in your life today. Some of us are here again and we want to be used by God, but we are holding on to something that happened 10, 15, even 20 years ago. God has a desire to work great things in our life just as he did for Joseph, but God is not going to be able to fill a vessel that is already full. And some of us are full of bitterness. Some of us are full of anger and hatred towards people that have done us wrong. Offenses will come. Revenge doesn't belong to you. You've got to let go of your past. Are you going to allow the offenses and the circumstances of life to define who you are, or are you going to allow the sovereign hand of God to direct you? Number two, understand the providence of God. Understand the providence of God. Nothing in the Christian life is a coincidence, but rather every situation is divinely orchestrated by God. Here it is, for our good and for his glory. Charles Spurgeon said this of God's providence, depend upon it. However, let man rebel against this truth as they will that God has determined the end from the beginning. He has left no screw loose in the machine. He has left nothing to chance or accident. Understand the providence of God. And number three, hold to the promises of God unshaken. Hold to the promises of God unshaken. Here's what I'm not saying. Uh, and we gotta be very careful with this. You can't just open up the word of God and point to a promise and claim it. That's not how it works. <laughs> I wish that it was, but a lot of people get themselves in a lot of trouble and they lose their faith in God because they claim a promise that was never intended for them in the first place. There's things that God uh, lined out in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel that was not meant for you. There's things that God lined out in Psalms that was meant for David that was not meant for us. But you know what God did intend for us in our moment of need to be able to say, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's a promise we can claim. Another one would be that we can obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need by coming boldly before the throne of grace. Philippians chapter one and verse number six, being confident of this very thing, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it into the day of Jesus Christ. Another promise that we can claim. The very same God who brought forth these difficult trials and circumstances, he's begun a good work in you, he's able to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Joseph knew from the very beginning that God had called Joseph to something bigger than himself. He established that early in Joseph's life through those visions that he gave Joseph in Genesis 37. And from a very young boy, age of 17, Joseph realized God's got big, plan, get, uh, big plans for my life. Joseph understood that God had divinely orchestrated these difficulties in his life for his good and for God's glory. You mean that Joseph understood that this was all part of God's plan? Yes. Now, he didn't wake up every single day hoping and welcoming any difficult trial and circumstance that would come, to his, come into his life. I understand that Joseph was human, but nonetheless, I believe that this isn't a concept that we find out in Joseph's life at the end of his life that he wasn't applying the previous 25 years. I believe that the reason that Joseph is one of the only Bible characters in, in, in the word of God that you find nothing negative ever mentioned of them is because Joseph applied this principle every day of his life. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good in the prison, in the pit. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good in the prison. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. All throughout Joseph's life, Joseph was applying that principle. God meant it for good. God meant it for good. God meant it for good because God is sovereign and God is in control. Joseph's life teaches us that we serve a God who is in control even in the most hopeless of situations. Therefore, let us rest in the sovereign hand of God, knowing that he who is faithful to begin the work will be faithful to sustain the work 
for our good and for God's glory. Father, I pray that you'd be with us tonight. Thank you so much for speaking to us as you have in the past weeks. I, I pray that you'd help us to live day to day as Joseph lived. Lord, not knowing what the future is going to hold, but knowing that you know what the future holds. I pray that we would rest in your sovereignty. I pray that you would, again, speak to us tonight. Thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to preach through uh, this life of, of this man, Joseph. Lord, and the things that he's taught me and the study has taught me, Lord, about my own life. Lord, nothing is by chance. Lord, you bring everything into our lives for our good and for your glory. I pray that you'd be with us tonight uh, and meet with us. Speak to hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?